Hi everyone and welcome back to Creatable Future with me, Ryder Tracy. This is an education podcast for teachers that shines light on critical skills for the future and connects them with the classroom. For the last few weeks, we've been taking a deep dive into evaluation. This week, I have the great privilege as a super fan to be able to introduce Joe Hasham, international poker extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Cheers, Ryder. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to start, uh, aspirationally, I'd love to be a poker extraordinaire myself. So I'll start, were you a maths genius at school? Um, I was very good at maths. Genius is probably a bit of a stretch, but I was I was quite good at maths, yeah. Okay. It was my, it was my strongest subject for sure. Okay. And so what, what do you think makes a good poker player? Like is it all the maths and quickly calculating percentages in your head or are there other attributes that you think have led to your success? I've, I've rammed this down my, the throat of my kids their whole life is the whole world revolves around numbers. Everything that you see, everything that you do, the foundations of it comes back to numbers. If you understand numbers, it really helps you understand the world. However, if we're talking about poker life business you need to have that internal dialogue with yourself to interpret those numbers because as we know people can you know you can get 10 different people in the room and they can read numbers differently but if you train yourself like to understand what the numbers mean and then add to that your life experience or I guess I'm kind of talking about gut instinct there do you know what I mean like a lot of it boils down to gut instinct and all gut instinct is is your subconscious mind processing all the information and letting you know whether it feels right or wrong you know like your conscious mind can work can work out yeah okay one plus one equals two but there's one plus one equal two in this situation and that's what your subconscious mind does i feel yeah absolutely it's interesting to me you know the the point you made about the 10 people in the room all looking at the same numbers you know, they'll all interpret them in a different way, you know. So I, I wonder, um, could you talk me through sitting down at a at the poker table? Do you instantly know uh, this person's going to do that and that person's going to do this? Or do you collect that information over, over time as you play? That's a great question, right? So when I show up to the poker table, I scan the table immediately and it's kind of like I've got this uh, Excel spreadsheet in my head, right? And it goes, right, I allocate each player to a particular uh, title, uh, you know, loose, aggressive, tight, old, young, internet, old school. That's my first instinct. And it's actually, it's my first instinct in life full stop. I love crowd watching. And, you know, whenever I enter a, a room or enter a, a dinner or a lunch or a meeting, the first thing my instinct I instinctively do is just read who the people are in front of me. But that then... As time goes on, that evaluation might change. Oh, I love that. There's a um, quote, uh, Sir John Maynard Keynes, who says, uh, when the information shifts, so does my mind. What does yours do? Which I, which I hear coming through there. I, I also, I like the idea of the spreadsheet. So do you, can I play it back and see if I'm uh, hearing it correctly? Do you kind of have uh, subcategories of, you know, sort of the type of player people will be and then allocate them against that criteria based on their behaviour. Correct. Absolutely correct, yeah. And then you've got to be open to allowing for changes as the dynamics change because, like, your first instincts are usually correct, but, you know, sometimes 
people change the way they act after certain situations, you know? Yeah. I imagine when you're playing at the elite level also, they're probably aware of those categories and try and... Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're at the elite level, basically you have very little information to use, Mm. right? Because no one's giving off much information. But when you're in the general public, when you're playing in in a big tournament face with just general, you know, players... There's so much information and um, I have a theory. I mean, I've used it for a long time at the poker table, but I have a theory as to why, and this is probably to your for your teachers out there that they could probably benefit from this. I think there's a very good reason why there's that, you know, when you come into a meeting, there's that initial five to seven, maybe ten minutes of chit-chat before they get stuck into the business of things. I find people almost always tell the truth when they're in a relaxed environment. At the poker table, if I translate to the poker table, when I first sit down, I'll just talk about whatever with the, you know, with my opponents, like the football or family or the weather or whatever, because I'd like, I like to see how they react when they're not under scrutiny. And so if we take it back to the meeting, that happens naturally. People get to, like, relax each other. Then when the meeting starts and people need to decipher what the person across from the table is actually saying to them, you get to un- you get to like a feeling of well, that's not how he reacted when we were nice and relaxed before. Is he is he still telling the truth or is he a great liar or do you know like? And I use that at the poker table, and I think that that's really one of the key reasons why there's that pre chit chat before you, they get stuck yeah. into the. It's, it's um one of the things I'm picking up that you're saying there is you know kind of the thing that separates the elite expert players from kind of your, your general kind of player and applicable in life too, I, I think that translation is there, is the ability to control the information, you know, so you can't pick up much from another expert, but you can pick up a whole heap from someone that's not and in day-to-day life. It's obviously an advantage, you know, if you can read people and see how they're feeling and respond to it and kind of reflect their behaviours. Yeah, it's powerful. It, it sometimes becomes uh, you don't even know that you're doing it, mate. Like <sighs> for me, it's just I catch myself out sometimes. <laughs> okay, what are you doing? You just <laughs> this is there's no need for this here, but you just can't help it. Like it's just you know. And I, I used to be a chiropractor. I was a chiropractor for 13 years before I won the World Series. And till this day, and that was, I stopped chiropractic 20 years ago. Till this day, I can't help but analyse when someone's walking in front of me or to me, I look at their gait and I kind of instantly work out what's wrong with their back. Like I just can't, I can't help it. Like it's something that is has become second nature to me. And the same thing with, with reading people. It's just, it's just what I do. I don't, I'm not consciously trying to read everybody. It just, it is what it is, you know. Do you think? Do you think you can? You said you get better at it. Do you think we can nurture it or train it? You mentioned your your kids earlier and how you kind of influence that. Like, how do you uh, encourage your kids to be better at doing that? Listen more. People don't listen enough. Listen more. Let other people talk. I'm a very big proponent of listening more and talking less. You know, I'm talking a lot in this podcast because that's what I'm here for, right? But generally, if this is a conversation, I'd like to listen because I like to learn from what, you know, from your experiences. And, you know, I think everyone, doesn't matter who they are, can teach you something. The more you listen, the more you learn, and the more you can use that information to help you make decisions. 
But if you're the one doing all the talking, <laughs> what are you going to listen? What are you going to learn? <laughs> That's right. You're coming in with a, a preordained uh, idea, right? And you, you know, we all know those people. They want to be the mouthpiece all the time, and they're the ones that usually know the least. Well, yeah, I know you're smiling, and, and now you're, now you're blushing because <laughs> you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? Uh, I do, and I've got two thoughts in my head, Joe. The first one is, as a <laughs> chiropractor, he's uh, he's judging how I'm slouching here at the moment, and I'm trying to like get my posture right. And secondly, I'm thinking, oh, how can I ask a question without looking like I'm ignoring him telling me to listen? So, <laughs> two good ones there. I I uh, I, I really like the idea that. Um, Thinking kind of categories, you know, like to shortcut that information so you can pull uh, what I'm looking for is this. I guess I would say it in an evaluation sense. I would say know the question, like know what I'm looking for when I'm collecting that data, collect that data, process it, and then be prepared to reevaluate, reevaluate, reevaluate all the way through. I want to take you to, um, well, from my perspective as a fan, that your most famous kind of moment. Uh, you know where you won the, uh, you know the World Series uh, in two thousand and five, and with that hand, and I know not everyone listening is a huge poker fan, so I'll try and uh, not do that. But um, essentially, you had seven three before the flop, which was a, a pretty unlikely hand to be successful. For sure. Yeah, and then uh, and then you turned uh, four five six, which made it a, an excellent hand. Um, I've watched I've watched it over and over and I rewatched it this morning again, Joe. Your ability to you went from a pretty shitty hand, as we said, to an excellent hand and didn't give anything away. And then over the preceding kind of minute or two with your opponent, you managed to uh, influence uh, like their confidence and their behavior. It, it felt very deliberate watching it. Um, uh, could you talk us through that kind of moment that, that led to that success? Yeah, great. Firstly, let's get it clear that having good hands and good cards, anybody can do, right? How do you get the maximum out of that? That hand was 14 hours in the making. So my opponent, Steve Daneman, he was probably the least experienced player at the table, but he was running really hot. <laughs> wow. And he was, he was absolutely fearless because he had nothing to lose because he's already exceeded his, his expectation. So I made a deliberate decision about halfway through the tournament to really stay out of his way unless I had him in a stranglehold. Other players at my table who were really good players as well, they butted heads with him. So it doesn't matter if you get it in there as a, as a 54% favourite or as a 62% favourite. He's got 36% there that he can just, it's going to come, right? And this is where the numbers are important, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So that final hand, it was fine that I, you know, my shitty hand turned to a great hand. But the question was, how do I get all his chips and end this tournament now and walk away as a world champion? So I said to you it was 14 hours in the making. I had listened to everything he had said for 14 hours. And I played with him the day before as well and maybe the day before that. I had taken all that information in and I waited and I waited and I waited. So now when this hand comes up and I've pushed all in on, on him and I need him to call to end this tournament, I thought, because he was thinking about it and I thought to myself, okay, what can I say to him 
to get him to relax because he was all about, his conversation was all about, I'm having a good time. This is the time of my life. I didn't expect to be here. I just said, hey, Steve, are we still having fun? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Are we still having fun? He goes, of course we're having fun. Okay, I'm all in. Game over. There, there was something else that really wasn't shown because I asked him to count his chips and then I kind of like stopped him halfway before that, like say, he was counting his chips and I said, okay, stop, I'm all in. And that kind of shocked him first that he had to face now all his chips were on the line. And then I started talking to him about, hey, are we still having fun? So first I, sh I shocked him and I stopped him from his train of thought. Yeah, I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm all in. Let's go. You know, fourteen. That took fourteen hours to to get to that point. I think it's really good that um, calling that out. You know, because it's easy to watch the moment and say, "Oh, look at this fantastic moment and your bravery." You know, within that moment and the way you you kind of executed. You know, with that. But it, it was what I'm hearing is, uh, you know. There could have been, you know, however many hands you play in 14 hours, you know, a, a huge amount. Wait for the moment, wait for the cards, wait for the right opportune time, set it up time and time and time again, you know, don't go, don't go, don't go, and then tap into the data that you'd collected earlier and make an informed decision, like a calculated, informed, evidence-based decision about what's likely to yield the best result for you. Brilliant. It goes back to the very first point that we started with. Collect the information, know the numbers, have the data, and then use it to your advantage. You know, and patience is king. Like that, that took fourteen hours, and that's also about we. You know, we talk about risk and reward. I risk very little for a really huge reward, a possible huge reward. Yeah, there's a life lesson in that one, most definitely. Just quickly, because your expertise, you know, um, it, it lends itself to something that we're facing a lot at the moment. So through COVID, um, a lot of the world shifted from in-room, interpersonal relationships into this kind of virtual relationships. And poker is uniquely placed where there's quite a... Uh, vibrant online poker community and then there's also the live in the room kind of poker play um i wondered if you found any difference or similarities between the two and if there's any implications for us now when you know a lot of the kids in school are going to be having virtual meetings and you know not so many in person interpersonal relationships as as virtual if there's any similarities or differences there i think that the whole COVID thing and shifting everything virtual is hurting humanity, if you want the honest truth. I feel there's a whole generation that's going to miss out on the interpersonal connection with their fellow humans, and that's not a good thing for humanity. We're a species that needs human contact. Even if we don't want it sometimes, we still need it. Like, it's in our DNA. I don't know. I don't have an answer for your question, but that's just my point. We've been forced to... Uh, into an environment where we need to do more remote, do things more remotely. But let's make sure that we make enough time to do things more in person and physically as well. It's better for our souls. 
Oh, I, I love that. Well, Joe, on that note, I might say uh, I hope that I have the uh, the opportunity to meet you in person one day, maybe <laughs> along the way. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for your time and uh, it's really precious and valuable and your insights uh, really will be reaching and helping a lot of people. And um, congratulations on your career. Thank you. My pleasure. Of course. Thank you very much. Have a big great day. What a privilege talking to Joe today. One of the strong points he made that really landed for me is that collecting the data is only useful if you know how to draw upon it and when to use it. I think the discipline of thinking in categories is an invaluable shortcut for efficient decision making and one that we could nurture in our kids. And finally, his advice to listen rings really true. You learn a lot more from listening than talking, particularly if you ask the right questions. If you want to explore evaluation in more depth, we have five new courses available on our website for you to check out. Thanks for listening to Creatable Future. Leave us a review and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you'd like more of. Reviews help us reach more listeners so that we can keep bringing you more awesome conversations. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date with each episode as they come out. If you want to hear more about how Creatable is connecting schools with industry through our professional learning library, head to creablefuture.com. This episode was recorded on Darawal and Darug country. Catch you next week.